0: Welcome to the Not A Mommy Yet podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Fay. I started the Not A Mommy Yet blog and this podcast because I've always known I want to be a parent one day, and you might be listening because you feel the same. You may have also heard people with kids say things like, I wish I had known this before I had kids, or I wish I had done that. Hearing those comments made me think about the parts of my life I want to spend more time focusing on before I have kids in ways that will benefit me as a parent. So I started a list of people who can teach me about health, money, relationships, psychology, and more, and started interviewing them, and this podcast was born. Whether you plan to have kids or not, I think you'll find something interesting in this podcast for you. I hope you enjoy, subscribe, and maybe even share it with a friend. Thank you so much for listening. So today on the Not A Mommy Yet podcast, I'm speaking with Toronto-based naturopathic doctor and midwife, Melissa Chan. With a specialized focus on fertility, obstetrics, and female health, Melissa aims to address and treat the root cause of illness, disease, and create healthy lifestyles through research-driven integrative medicine. Today, you'll hear about her very interesting path to becoming a midwife and how she is bringing all of her past experience into her practice. Thank you so much for being here today, Melissa. Hi Natalie,
1: thanks for
0: having me. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Yeah, me as well. So, before you became a midwife, you worked in pharmaceuticals. How did you first get into that, and what kind of sparked you, then your interest to go into naturopathy? Sure. So, um, I had no idea really what I had wanted
1: to do. I finished um, when I finished university. Um, I had a psychology degree and I was working in a pharmaceutical company and it was just really interesting. We did a lot of preclinical trial work, um, so we worked a lot with the science and chemistry behind what makes a drug drug, what makes that drug work, um, particularly we took an active ingredient and decided how that worked in the body, the chemical properties of it, all of that kind of great stuff. So. I gained a really um, strong interest for how drugs are made. Um, during my time there, we started working a lot with natural products. Uh, vitamin C was one of the ones that I particularly remember sparked my interest. And I remember thinking, wow, like, what would someone do with this? And why would they need to use it in this way? And, and who wants to use it in this way? And so um, I became really interested in that particular project, but just the idea that. Uh, we're not just looking at uh, chemical or pharmaceutical
0: ingredients. We're looking at other things as well, too, and that there was the a market for it. Mm-hmm. You definitely got that unique look at how Western medicine works um, in a way that not a lot of people get to see, like this all that behind-the-scenes stuff with the creation of drugs. And, and so then what led you to become an naturopath then after that?
1: So once we started, once I started looking at that and I was like, wow, like, okay, some people are using, uh, these natural ingredients in this way and formulating it in all these different kinds of ways, I started, um, kind of re-examining what I really wanted in a job. So, you know, my interest, um, in my undergraduate degree with psychology, with developmental psychology, looking at, um, Infants, adolescents, development of the psyche. Um, I was starting to pull in like my personal interests, and in eating well, and yoga, and exercise. And then this other area of my life that was uh, up until that point, I didn't really know how it fit into everything. And so when I started to see that there were other interests, that there was this interest in natural um, products being used. Uh, Medicinally and being transformed in this way, I was like, okay, how do I put this all together? And I came across the naturopathic program um, and decided that I wanted to go back.
0: Oh, cool. And then what was that like? Because I think a lot of people don't really know what becoming a naturopath entails, like what the education is like. Um, So can you kind of just, I know that wasn't really something we had discussed going over, but I would love to just know a little bit more about that that educational experience, about that experience, and if there's specialties within naturopathy, how does that all work? Of
1: course. So uh, to become a naturopathic doctor is a four-year program. Um, There are six accredited colleges that are spread between. United States and Canada Mm -hmm. Um, in Canada um, it's in British Columbia and then the other one is here in Toronto Um, and through those four years of training um, we kind of go through a lot it's a pretty rigorous program so Mm -hmm. you're learned you're taught sorry um, Mm -hmm. Western medicine Western diagnoses everything from pathology biochemistry pharmacology biology anatomy all of those really core areas of learning of the Mm -hmm. body but on top of that you're also learning different schools of alternative ways of looking at the body and i call them alternative but really in different parts of the world they're not alternative and they are distinct of the medicine. Mm-hmm. So, you are learning traditional, how to view the body in traditional Chinese medicine. You're viewing how to look at the body um, in a homeopathic way. Um, you're learning um, how to understand the body from a bone, joint, physiological, chiropractic way. So, you're learning all these different schools of thought and modalities in which to treat. Right the body essentially and so it's very unique in the sense that you can understand the body from a western medicine standpoint physiologically um, what's happening in the body um, everything from like what is urgent red flags all of those important things Mm -hmm. but you're also learning okay how do I support the body through uh, botanical medicine through nutrition through traditional Chinese medicine through homeopathics through um, adjustments and manipulation, basically.
0: Mm-hmm. In your practice, do you kind of combine all of those different things? Do you have ones that you align with more strongly? How do you approach um, your you know, experience as a naturopath, having learned all of those different areas of medicine and health?
1: Yeah, so everybody practices a little bit different, uh, but we all have the same basis of those kind of core understandings. Um, using all of the I don't use all the modalities in my practice as you kind of um get out there and start practicing and you realize which one's tea more and which one right. you like to do a little bit more and um so I tend to use a lot of nutrition I use a lot of um acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine and I use a lot of botanical medicine so herbal cool. approach um to the way that I practice and to how I find that fits in with um with people uh but everyone's a little bit different in how they approach it and that's the beauty of it that's what makes it an art is that you're able to look at one person and be able to apply all these different ways of healing to that one person
0: yeah absolutely and i wish i think more people would benefit so much by seeing naturopaths in their daily in their regular life um you know alongside doctors it's
1: it's becoming a bit more known so i would like five to seven years ago, um, it wasn't, you know, as your passport as predominant in healing and health as they are now, and it's come a long way. So hopefully it continues to go down
0: that way. Yeah, that's definitely, I'm hoping, with that, and then also with midwives, <laughs> So, which we'll get into. But um, before we do, I wanted to ask you about how you work with um women who are trying to get pregnant, who are pregnant, postpartum, um, as a naturopath, how can you help women at those stages? Do they come to you um, frequently? And what are some things that women can be thinking about just to, you know, kind of keep that in the back of their head, like, oh, this would be a reason why I would go see someone like you? Of course. So
1: pregnancy is a spectrum. As you outlined, there are different Areas There's fertility, there's that pre-pregnancy period, there's the actual pregnancy itself, and mm-hmm. then there's also the postpartum period, which I don't think gets enough attention to, but mm-hmm. is um, is a really important time. And so as an ND, sometimes we're working to get to the body to a place of fertility, and so working with people to establish that healthy terrain for life to grow, whether that be you know, getting to a great baseline weight, um, managing other health conditions that are sometimes uh, preventing pregnancy, uh, working on habits, getting a good lifestyle in place, mm-hmm. all of these things, um, detoxing or, um, you know, kind of working through other bodily processes before we get to a place of fertility sometimes is really necessary, mm-hmm. even for the healthiest person. Mm-hmm. Um, so that seems like a really broad um, description but ideally if we're working on that stuff before pregnancy happens we can make that really optimal environment for pregnancy when it does occur during pregnancy you know and these supports through um, that rapidly changing phase and it's you know the body needs more requirements needs more nutrients whether that be through diet through lifestyle through supplementation um acupuncture is really great there's so many modalities that can still support a pregnant body and then in the postpartum as well too when we're talking about that restoration and replenishing of the body after it's gone through a very intense period of generation mm-hmm. um how do we preserve that body in order to um, uh, preserve the longevity of that of that pregnant person um moving forward after the baby so i think that those are all areas that and these are really great at working at and There's
0: so many little things in between each of those areas. Yeah. So going back to before you get pregnant, going off of birth control, is that helping? I mean, obviously that could go right alongside with detoxing your body. Um, Do you help women go through that process because my, my, when my experience of going off of birth control last year it was a choice it wasn't because i'm trying to get pregnant i just had been on it for 10 years and i really felt that it was um doing more harm than good at this point so um i went off of it and it was a pretty i kind of followed a r- r- slightly rigorous um diet just to support my, the cycles of my, the phases of my cycle. And that was kind of the extent to which I focused on post birth control life. But do, how can you work with women who are going off birth control to help manage some of the symptoms? Because I know some women who go, who went on it, like I just went on it for acne. Like I didn't go on it for extremely painful periods or anything really extreme. Um, so I know when some people go off of it, They do, those symptoms come back. So I've heard an OB say, you know, women that have, let's say, endometriosis and are in birth control to manage those symptoms, they should try and get pregnant right away within the first two months of going off birth control. So then they are more likely to not experience those symptoms. And then they're pregnant. So of course they don't have those symptoms. And then they go back on birth control immediately after having the baby. And I really didn't feel right about that answer because I I truly, like, I'm a strong believer that birth control is a Band-Aid. It's not a cure for any of this. So um, how can you help women through the birth control going off of it or as a way to kind of maybe avoid it, help them relieve those symptoms? Sure.
1: So birth control, you know, I don't want to say anything is bad or good or anything like that if you need something i'm very much a believer if you need it yeah maybe you need it for a short time maybe that you don't whenever you're working with hormones it takes a little bit of time it's not like um, in terms it takes a little bit of time in terms of seeing progress change in, right. in terms of seeing those results and that's not always the case like you know some people's bodies are different and this is where variation comes into place very different though when you're dealing with the hormonal system versus dealing say with the digestive system Mm -hmm. the digestive system you see different changes within a week or two weeks once you change something in your diet like you can see those changes sometimes with hormones it's a bit more trickier Mm -hmm. i guess you could say Mm -hmm. and again everybody's body responds so differently and so going on coming off um, it's really hard to say like whether or not you know it would take you three months to, to your body to reacclimatize to to its new hormonal status or not or go back and things like that so sometimes it can take a little bit of time to work through that um, a lot of the work that I do with people in these phases either before or after diet is always 100% what we work with because mm-hmm. it's fundamental what you put into your body builds you yeah um, it creates Literally all of your hormones, all of the things that your body needs in order to to function. Um, I use herbs, okay, so different kinds of herbs that support the reproductive tract, the reproductive system, um, in all kinds of ways. So definitely within the you know uterine like reproductive tract, but also like hormonally in terms of stress, hormonally in terms of um, mood and know mental uh, strain we mm-hmm. also work in that way too um, acupuncture is really amazing acupuncture is amazing for blood flow for increasing that, that vital energy there are lots of different things that you can do um, to work with someone in those phases before and after uh, as long as it's consistent yeah that's probably what I'm gonna say <laughs> yeah. one of the key things is just consistency and if you have those consistencies you do see those changes, and you do see those effects. It just depends on, for everybody, it depends on how much time that
0: takes. Exactly, you know I mean? yeah, that's, I think that's one of the more frustrating things about, about your hormones, is, is the time, um, the investment yeah. with your money and your time to figure out how to balance them out, and get them working optimally. So, I totally agree with you that everybody has to do what works best for them. And if birth control is that, that's great. And a lot of people respond well to birth control. So that's even better. But um, for yeah. me, for example, I got to a point where like if I, I was on it for my skin and my skin was terrible. So I'm like, this is right. not helping. So I went off of it and my skin really cleared up a lot. So I, I know that it definitely helped so again, yes, that's a very individual experience and um, everybody has to definitely do what's best for them. So I think with um, you helping them manage their hormones in different ways and I love, you know, focusing on diet, I agree that what you put into your mouth obviously has the biggest effect on your health. And are there any, I know everyone, like we're saying is, is unique, but are there any kind of Base rules that you set with diet with most I would you would say most or maybe even all of your patients.
1: That's a very good question. I mean, there are definite commonalities. Um, I do a lot of, um, I'd say, with most people, Mm -hmm. some of the things that I do would be a lot of.
0: We haven't thought here.
1: Yeah, no worries. Well like let me think about that. I don't want to be like overgeneralized, right? But like I'd say for the most part we work on two main areas. One would be consistent eating, Mm -hmm. whatever that looks like. I find that a lot of people are not consistent eaters and they don't have to be big eaters. I'm not talking portion sizes. But I'm talking about um stabilizing things like blood sugar and you know, just like consistent eating or eating enough to fit their metabolic requirement, mm-hmm. which is also another piece. Some people undereat or overeat. Actually more people under eat than you would think, believe mm-hmm. it or not. Um, which also has a detrimental effect to your body. Um other things that I find are common that I work on with most people, um, is the quality of food. So what are you having? Um in your diet and what makes up your diet. Um, there's a lot of sugar, excess sugar that doesn't need to be there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, there's a lot of educational pieces around what makes a good meal in terms of protein, fats, carbs, what that ratio looks like. Mm-hmm. I hate diets, like I'm not into diets, I'm not into fat diets. I'll say that a thousand times over again, yeah. but I do think that there are certain components of a diet that make up good, healthy eating, which in the long term, I'm a real huge believer that, uh, these are lifestyle habits that you will just carry on with you. Um, and I think that's more important than necessarily a diet or a prescriptive diet, I guess you could say. Uh, I see a lot as well. This is maybe related to, sometimes not related to pregnancy and fertility, but I do a lot of also, um, food sensitivities mm-hmm. as well. Um, and understanding what foods trigger what sort of reactions and also uh or conditions right so common ones are gas bloating general um, acid reflux things like that Um, certain food groups are great not great for those things so do a lot of educational pieces around there i'd say for most people um again fertility related or not but it does have an impact overall in pregnancy and in fertility and if someone's trying to get that optimal baseline of like good digestion we know that good digestion is the source for
0: our immune system which is the source for all good bacteria which inevitably again rolls into building that healthy terrain. So with people with food sensitivities do you do like elimination diets like one thing at a time?
1: Sometimes um, elimination diet's been really popular. Um, and it's a good I'd say inexpensive way to decide like what uh, your body is agreeable to and what it's not. Mm-hmm. I think that it's also very time consuming. So again, there's that commitment piece to it. Mm-hmm. Um but I find that it can be really informative and really food sensitivities. I know we're going a bit on topic sensitivities. Um, there's two ways you can look at food basically is that either you're really allergic truly allergic to a food which isn't always the case actually it's more rare than it is like unless you're truly celiac you know you're going to be allergic to gluten yeah. but more often it's the case where somebody is actually insensitive to a food because their body is just not, not digesting it properly and so we need to find out, okay, well, why is your body not, not digesting properly? And so Got food it. sensitivity, I like to think, is usually transient for, again, X amount, of period
0: of time, depending on the person. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it's a whole, like, a very interesting... Yeah. <laughs> that could be a whole other podcast episode. <laughs> totally, exactly. It's a whole other round of
1: discussion, but it's super fascinating and interesting and I love sitting there with someone being like okay this is what's going on and making a plan about how to optimize their diet because at the end of the day um if you're not digesting well you're not absorbing if you're not absorbing you're not creating and building that best body right right so i think those are fundamental things that a lot of NDs, um like myself work with
0: at the very baseline um with people no matter what their next kind of goal in terms of health is. Yeah, and I I mean, I love what you said about just setting up those good habits that'll last with you through your life, you know, and that's something that's a big focus for me with Not A Mama Yet is thinking about those habits that you're um, establishing now that you're going to pass on to your kids because if your kids see you um, having, you know, a healthy relationship with food and kind of knowing, you know, how to eat properly, spacing out meals and just, but it's very second nature. It's not something you really talk about as like, oh, I have to eat right now or like I have to eat this or I can't eat that. This is bad. This is good. It's more so just like this is your lifestyle. I think kids will see that and pick up on it and develop a really a much better relationship with food than, you know, a lot of people don't have that. So, I'm trying to be very aware of establishing those habits now so my kids can... That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, I think that's exactly it. And it's like, um, and those
1: are the things that are going to persist. And like you said, kids are going to pick up on that.
0: Yeah, all of those really great things. Yeah, so I do want to get into midwifery and how that has been. so you were a naturopath for about eight years, and now about two years ago you decided to get into midwifery. So what inspired that move, and and how, and I know you do both, so I would love to also know how you're balancing both. (laughs) Sure,
1: sure. Um, So I became a doula in 2011, Mm -hmm. um, and what I came to love about that um, was that the birth and the labor time, it's so transformative. Um, It's, like, not just the creation of new life and new babies, but it's turning the birthing parent into a person, into a parent. It's turning one or two people into, like, a family unit, and you're literally watching life grow. Mm -hmm. Um, And so seeing a baby born for the first time, taking that first breath, like, there was nothing that could be more hopeful at that point. So I knew that I already wanted to be a bit more hands-on. Mm-hmm. Uh, around 2014, I went out to Vancouver, British Columbia, and I went to an obstetrics course uh, put on by Naturopathic midwives. and I was just floored. I was like, what? Like, you people exist? So I was like, yeah. oh my God, I can merge these two professions. I was like, ah, like, I just needed to know so much more about how they were doing it and what they were doing, um, because when I looked at it, being both an naturopathic doctor and a midwife, they had so many similar principles, foundations in um, what they stood for, that I couldn't, I was like, you guys should be together. Yeah. (laughs)
0: So I thought I was going
1: back to Midwifery for an entire year, I applied, um, and then I was accepted. So I thought, okay, I have no idea what I'm doing, um, but the universe is giving this to me, so I'm going to take it.
0: That's awesome. And how long were you a doula for?
1: So I was a doula from 2011 until probably 2000, and the last client I took was before my last couple of years, so I want to say maybe around 2016.
0: Oh okay. No, possibly. Wow. Yeah.
1: So it was really great. It was really great to be in that space and to understand, like, and to watch, like, this is what labor is. Yeah. It was really beautiful. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, what what is that like? Because I know with doulas, you kind of you usually get hired. I would think in within the first trimester, right? Is when a woman would come to you and say I want to do this with you and so you're you're pretty much you have to be available you know until the birth <laughs> um <Yeah. laughs> so how did you manage that how did how, like how often were you taking on new clients was it just one at a time how how can doulas kind of operate while also you know you were doing naturopathy at the same time yeah so um
1: you're right most people will hire you as a doula early on in the pregnancy um, how involved you become in their care at that point is really just up to them. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I would see them once a trimester until the, until um, their due date month. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it would just be that we met more frequently or met more intensely during around the due date. Things like that mm-hmm. it just depends on. having, at the time I was juggling many things, so but I just wanted one client a month where I knew that I would not overlap with due dates with another person right. um, because it was just me that was working on with that client, so I wanted to make sure that I could dedicate that time right. um, to them. If I was working in a team which later on, towards the end of um, my time as a doula, I was working with two other ND doulas who we would kind of back each other and Um, And uh, that was also really great as well. But for the first few years, I was by myself. So uh, it wasn't too bad because as an agipath,
0: That's awesome, though. As a doula, I'm sure you were just extra helpful <laughs> than maybe most doulas because you were also a naturopath. So you were able to probably recognize certain things and help women through that in a, in a very unique way.
1: Yeah, it, it was. Definitely, I found that they merged also those two things quite nicely together. And For those reasons, I saw a lot of women more so in the other trimesters of pregnancy because we were... Carried as a duo, they knew that I was an so we were working on other things as well, as we mentioned earlier in in our talk. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was great, and then during labor as well, being able to do things like acupuncture and use homeopathics and things like that with that knowledge was really helpful. So, yeah, I, I think that <laughs> when I look back on it, they all sort of fall into each other really nicely. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. If I were to go back and do it all again, I would want your career path. <laughs> I mean, I just, I'm obsessed with everything that you're, that you do. And it's so cool that you have had these multiple titles or roles, I guess, and in, in, um, with naturopathy and being a doula and, and now a midwife. So now as a midwife, how, how has that been going since you, you graduated your, like it was in April, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I just graduated in April, which is super exciting. Yeah, congrats. Um, I'm working (laughs) at a clinic, thanks. I'm working at a clinic on the east side of Toronto right now, um, full time. So, um, it looks sort of like my life is like 80% midwifery, 20% naturopath, because Mm -hmm. it's just the on-call hours, um, I try not to double book or double schedule anything, mm-hmm. and to avoid myself going crazy. So, mm-hmm. like when I'm a midwife, I'm fully dedicated to doing that. Um, I'm on call, I'm present, I'm around. And then in that time that I do have off, I'm a naturopath. I'm fully present, I'm around, and that's a good way to keep it um, to keep yourself um, in check, basically. Right. <laughs> and uh, to stay focused in the things that you're doing. Yeah.
0: So, you work as a midwife at a hospital then? Yes,
1: yeah, so um, in Canada, so I'm going to start, I know that in the U.S. It's a, it may be a little bit different as how midwives work um, in versus in Canada. I think that in the States, and I'm and like, don't quote me exactly on this, but I think a certified nurse midwife is the equivalent to what a Canadian midwife designation would be. Mm-hmm. I know that in the States there are three different classifications of midwives and it's like state dependent, I think, on on where if one or all three are able to practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I believe, in, especially in California, a certified nurse midwife is the one that's the closest to Canadian trained. Um, and so as a midwife here in Canada, what I'm able to do is I'm able to do home births. I'm able to uh, facilitate births at a birth center, which is an independent
0: birthing facility mm-hmm. and also do hospital births as well okay nice and do you are more women starting to like look to midwives for their delivery um well
1: i know that the demand is here for mm-hmm. sure in terms of midwifery services and um, the access is is great like i mean in, within toronto within the gta um like the surrounding area that is um And people really appreciate and like that continuity of care, having somebody known during the pregnancy, at the birth and delivery, and then up to six weeks Mm -hmm. postpartum. It's one of the tenets and principles of midwifery here, but also something that I think people really value. So
0: I do think that, um, yeah, the demand is growing. Uh, yeah that's great I'm I'm hoping that it's growing in the us too I did a, a podcast last year with a midwife and she was telling me about the patient care throughout the pregnancy how you know it starts early on and it's the the appointments were one to two hours in length every time they met it was the same frequency as someone would see an OB d- during their pregnancy yep. okay. but it's more um it's just more in depth you know you're talking about your diet your lifestyle preparing emotionally spiritually physically for the labor um becoming a mother you know all these things so how do you work with your patients does that align with what she was saying you know because i just i I find that so fascinating because with ob's you know you get 15 minute appointments at most And the first half is with a nurse who's taking your vitals. Like it's, it's not the same level of, I don't want to say care in a negative way because OBs are obviously, they're trained surgeons. They're amazing at what they do. And they're of course, so helpful for a lot of people who have pregnancies where they need that. But I think the one thing that needs to change is women are scared of giving birth and a lot of that has to do with like movies and just society kind of making it this really scary experience but we're made to do this we're absolutely strong enough it's there's nothing to be afraid of and but getting to that point requires support and people like yourself who can get us there. And so I'm just wondering how you support women um, throughout their pregnancy beyond, you know, just preparing for that delivery.
1: Yeah, that's a really important part. The last thing that you just mentioned about um, the fear of birth Mm -hmm. and the idea in so the, the idea is that social media has sort of created around what a birth should look like or what a birth should be or even what a birth actually does look like which yeah. oftentimes it's is not the same in movies and I say that a lot of times yeah. um, and that I 100% agree that this is you know, pregnant bodies were made to do this and um, yes, getting that support and getting to that point does require a lot of support um, and so it's similar in we spend about half an hour to 45 minutes in appointments so almost the same um in terms of preparing someone for uh during their pregnancy and then for the labor birth. and that can look like a lot of different things so we do our clinical assessments um during that time we have specific topics depending on the gestation of pregnancy that we discuss about uh things anywhere from nutrition to um preparing for labor, when to pay, what labor looks like, what happens in the postpartum. Um, we talk about breastfeeding, we talk about pain management, so many topics yeah. um, that we discuss and because we believe in informed choice, um, that you know we support yes. our clients to make the best decisions about their care and mm-hmm. it's part of our responsibility to give that information Um, about what we're doing, how we're doing it, um, what are the advantages disadvantages, what are the risks involved. It's a discussion Mm -hmm. um, about your care. So I think that helping people feel safe and helping people feel comfortable and helping people to feel like they are empowered in their birth experience and what makes that possible
0: yeah, that's that's amazing, um, and, and that's something I hope everyone feels when they're pregnant <laughs> and getting ready for delivery. Uh, yeah, because
1: uh, you're right. It's a very scary time. Uh, birth is <laughs> it is definitely a scary experience and can be, but it can also not be.
0: Right. Absolutely, it's just. I think ta- and really taking advantage of the time that you have when you're pregnant to prepare for it because you know what's coming at the end of it. <laughs> and uh, you got to, you know, um, I think the more support you have and feeling empowered, like you said, by knowing all of your options and choosing what's best for you is by far the best situation that you could be in. Um, because, yeah, it's it's just going to make the whole experience a lot better I actually saw on, on social media recently this woman who's pretty affluent like famous person and she shared kind of a time-lapse video of her birth and her birth and like shared her birth story and she said you know I was really hoping to do a drug-free birth and vaginally and and do it all kind of how she wanted to do it. But in the time-lapse video, she went to the hospital as soon as her water broke and laid in bed for 15 hours, eventually needing an epidural, eventually getting a c-section. And this is kind of something that after all of the exposure I've had just personally to documentaries and talking to people like yourself and labor and delivery, this is kind of the track a lot of women get on as soon as they enter a hospital if they're not prepared. So it kind of seemed like, you know, she had this goal, but she didn't really have the support to help her maybe understand what she needed to do to get there cuz I would think you'd move around a lot more <laughs> and not lay it on your back cuz I do know that that doesn't really help with progression of labor. So how like what what should women kind of be thinking about if if their goal let's say is drug-free vaginal birth? Who should they be talking to and what resources could they find to help them get there?
1: Sure. So for the first thing, I think it's important that you can have a plan for birth and I think it's great to have that idea about what you want and advocate for the things you want. Have the people around you know and advocate for the things that you want. Mm -hmm. But also be prepared to throw that out the window completely. Yeah. I think that's also a super important point is that no birth is bad and none of it's wrong because with birth and labor and especially during delivery it's that anything can happen and i think that the flexibility and, and understanding and being able to adapt to the situation as it moves and as to like what's required is super important um, to not have those expectations about what you think that it will look like.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: sure, of course, and my plans, sure, and, like, to advocate for that, I think, is really necessary, but also know, too, that it's not a failure if it goes the other way. Right. Like, that's not, um, in in some cases, It sometimes it's medically necessary or it's required, and that's an okay thing, too. Um, but I think the second part to that is, in terms of finding out resources, and in terms of finding out, like you know, what supports your birth plan the best. So, for example, um, you know, if your goal is to have a drug-free, unmedicated birth, I mean, the best thing would be to talk. Well, first, to tell your team that's kind of what you're planning and what you're wanting for. Um, find out what kind of interventions you are okay with. So, would you like to have uh, water or hydrotherapy as part of your? Uh, um, medication plan or non-medication plan I should say mm-hmm. would you like to have um, nitrous oxide would you like to have like what kind of um non-epidural you know non-epidural things but medications there's so many different classifications of what you could do mm-hmm. um, depending on how you define what a drug-free non-medicated birth is some people would define that as absolutely no pharmaceuticals. some people would define that as um everything but just an epidural um, so I think that and then finding out what places you have that access to would mm-hmm. be the best way to go about sort of making that plan and then also being okay to know that if you did need that epidural if things did change and the situation warranted that you did end up wherever you needed to be that that's okay too
0: mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah. I mean she even said of course she's just happy. She's healthy. Her baby's healthy. Like everything's fine. There's, she had no regrets or anything. It just, it just seems like, you know, when you have those goals, finding the right people, I guess, to support you and sharing those options of how to get there. Um, you know, of course anything can happen in, in delivery, um, and you have to be flexible, but, but, yeah, I think there's things you can do, too, during the pregnancy to help you have the outcome maybe that you want. But, again, you can't prepare for what's going to happen. So, um, Of course. I think having those conversations early is yeah. also
1: very key. So, again, like letting your team know, hey, this is what I want. Um, can we talk a bit more about uh, water birth? Can we talk a bit more about nitrous oxide we talked a little bit you know like and having those conversations and doing some research about it um so that you know and you're a little bit more well informed and you can like make sure the people around you know that that's what you really want I think that's also very
0: key yeah absolutely um and it's obviously I'm sure helped you with your doula naturopath experience as a midwife um helping women through that pregnancy and delivery as well
1: In terms of pain uh, management, do you
0: mean, or just, like, overall? Yeah, like, pain, but, you know, just the emotional support that you can offer probably Mm -hmm. um, having been a doula compared Mm -hmm. to, you know, other people who haven't been that, like, support, that partner for a person, you know, going through the pregnancy and delivery. Um, They're more so just aware of how to support them in other ways, Um, but you you definitely are offering like this 360 support to people. And that's so awesome.
1: Thanks. It's definitely like you build a lot of like, you know, you just watch, you watch people in labor for a really long time. And it's just, you develop that patience, you develop that empathy, you develop that compassion. Um, and sometimes it's about being strong for somebody that is really strong. They just don't feel it. They just don't know it. They just don't remember it. Um, And so it's kind of just being that cheerleader to be like, this is happening. This is you. You're doing this. Yeah.
0: great. You're safe. Everything is normal. Um, Yeah, yeah. because women don't know. That was the other thing. I talked to this woman who had to, she had to do a lift for her two births, and she followed the Bradley method, and she was, she's a very, like, type A personality, very to the t so she she like followed the bradley method as closely as she could to ensure that she had the outcome that she wanted and um she was saying though that she was able because you don't know especially when it's your first and every i'm sure pregnancy and delivery is different even for the same person um she didn't know you'd assume when your water breaks you go to the hospital but because she had a doula, she knew that she didn't have to go to the hospital. And she actually labored at home for 12 hours before going to the hospital. And that's something that she just, she admitted she would have never done if she was alone. So having someone there who knows when it's time and knows how to coach you, like, at home was, she said, an incredible tool to have to have that resource. So I know doulas are cost prohibitive for a lot of people. But the more education you can get during your pregnancy to figure out, oh, when is the right time? Like, how do I know when to go to the hospital? Because once you're there, things can change and you can, you like you can't eat, right? Like there's certain things, so maybe you want to stay home longer. There's certain things. So she said that that was really, really valuable. Right.
1: And the only thing I would add to that is just that uh, so – Doula's provide um, great support, like mental, physical, um, physical support, especially for, super helpful. Uh, but they don't provide that medical piece of support, uh-huh. um, and so you know, having a doula work alongside an OB or having a doula work alongside a, a midwife would be the optimal situation in that case. Mm-hmm. Um, just to make sure that, yeah, everything is fine and safe and it's okay for her to stay at home and things are still so well. Um, and, uh, yeah, so just that's, that's the other piece that I didn't mention, too, is that, like, uh, doers don't do the medical portion.
0: Um, right.
1: Uh, yeah. So having, like, everybody involved in the care team, like, around decisions like that, I think are really important. But most People that I've worked with, um, and also most hospitals now are like super open to doulas, um, and it's no longer this like what's a doula kind of thing. Everyone is really familiar with it. Um, but yeah, if everything is medically safe and well for her to stay out of the hospital, then then that would make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of support uh, research story that does support uh, continuous support by people that are not necessarily part of the medical care team so it could be doula can be a partner can be a spouse or something like that yeah In uh, really good outcomes for for birth and for, for mom and pregnant person and baby
0: yeah absolutely well thank you so much Melissa this has been such a wonderful conversation I just want to ask you the final three questions that I ask everyone on the podcast before we say goodbye uh, um the first one is what words or mantra do you like to live by
1: favorite one and it may sound a little bit dark but it's not really but I think that we don't have the time that we think we have um, and I think that if you want something you have to go get it um, and go after it and do it now yeah I mean that's easier said than done but I think we wait a lot and in that waiting we let that rational brain really take over what we instinctively feel like is right for us or what we want and I think
0: we just don't have the time that we think we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a good one. And and definitely people don't trust their gut as much as they think that they should. And right. I'm definitely part of that. I so I think those that's an amazing mantra to live by. Um, what do you most value in your community? I kind of frame this up, you know, thinking about me having future kids and thinking about my community who's gonna help me raise them. What do I most value? So that's why I like to ask. People, what do they most value in their own community?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, So I think I would split this answer up into two. Mm -hmm. So I think in my personal community, it's that unwavering confidence that I'm doing things and I'm impacting people and I'm changing things. Especially on the days that I don't feel it, um, and there are those days for sure that I feel tired or inadequate, or I can't see beyond this like super narrow focus that I've got going on, and um, I don't see my big picture passion. But somebody else in my life does, and they remember it and they remind me of it all the time. So I think what I value the most in that community is their resiliency, um, and that for me as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, professionally, I think that there's always someone that is working so hard um, and it inspires me to push it forward as well. Um, naturopathic medicine has come a long way, but it has so much more to go. Um, midwifery Saved has come such a far way, also has so much more to go. So I think that, like, always seeing somebody working on something to push these things forward in the name of, like, um, good health, good maternal newborn health um, is and reproductive rights
0: uh,
1: yeah all of those things are really important
0: so yeah Yeah, that's that's amazing I love that two-part answer that's great um and then lastly what qualities do you most admire that you're hoping to pass on to future generations
1: in love with what you're doing on this earth (laughs) yeah and if you feel that you've lost it rediscover it like redefine it but find it again and follow up because I think that your passions never really change I think that they morph and they look different over time but if you're truly following what you really want to do when you look back it all connects in the end and I should say that in the beginning I said that I didn't know what I really wanted to do of my life and if you ask me then like would i ever have become a midwife i don't think so but if i look back on like everything that i've done it's always been in the interest of public health and community initiatives and um healthcare Mm fertility and then that morphed into fertility and pregnancy and all those things so i think that if you stay authentic to those passions um you are creating this really beautiful narrative that Means something in the end it attracts
0: energy and good things come from it. Yeah, absolutely. It's always interesting to look back and connect the dots backwards, right. and it just always makes perfect sense. I don't want to say always, but it usually feel feels <laughs> that like one thing. Usually does. Yeah, it usually feels like one thing very organically led to the other, and you could have never planned for most of it, but um, it always it like it. I think it feels it feels good to look back and see that so yeah. thank you so much melissa where can people find you reach out to you uh, I'll, cl- I'll include it in the podcast notes but just for you to share absolutely
1: um, i'm working on a new website that won't be up um until the new year okay for now i'm just at it on instagram um and we'll keep people posted through there um, in terms of when I get that new website up but I'm really looking forward to it because I think that there's a lot of things that I'm working on um, and that I want to see being worked on in terms of pregnancy and Mm -hmm. health in general Um, and so I think some new things are coming up for next year so up until then I'll just be on Instagram but you can email me as well
0: Okay, great. Well, thank you so much, Melissa.
1: Great. Thanks so much, Natalie. Thanks for the chat. I think it's important to have these discussions and to continue to have them as well. So thanks for
0: all the work that you do, too. Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review and share it with a friend. Check out the podcast notes for the links we mentioned in our conversation and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode. Thanks for listening.